Welcome to the Danger Room, a place to prepare for the opponents you are yet to face. We discuss strategy and how to level up your game in Marvel Crisis Protocol. In this episode, we will have our Xavier Protocol segment, some hot takes on the one, the only, the Ghost Rider, and discuss roster construction. As always, we have Jacob, Sploosh, and myself, Dizzard. To start off this episode, it's a hot take section where we will discuss a different topic each week for a few minutes. This week, we'll be discussing Ghost Rider. Jacob, what are your thoughts on the good rider? I'm really annoyed at the minute. Uh, I'm normally really positive about the releases that are coming out in Marvel Crisis Protocol. And for our first two episodes, we did Wasp uh, last week. We're doing Ghost Rider this week. For our first two episodes of Hot Takes, I'm being a bit negative, um, <laughs> which is not how I normally am about the game. So listeners, please don't think this is my uh, general demeanor towards the, the game and the miniatures they're putting out. But again, I just, I'm not excited by Ghost Rider. Um, the big issue I have with him is his five threat cost. Uh, I just don't feel just, no, this is hot take. I haven't had a huge amount of time to digest this. This card was leaked, uh, sorry, spoiled um, just a few hours before we're recording this. But looking at it, uh, it it's lacking any defensive tech. Uh, the offense is good but it feels kind of like just a t just a, a half a grade above the kind of offense you get out of a four threat character now penance stare has got the ability to do absolutely crazy things absolutely but it's his really it's his lack of defense it's the three physical defense and the lack of any real defensive tech that helps keep him alive that's got me really worried about him i'll agree with you there but that's exactly why i love him because he's fitting right into my plans for roster constructing currently um, I think he will make an excellent web warrior because that's exactly what he's missing is that defensive tech. And that's what the affiliation brings to him. So in my opinion, I think he's going to completely supplement the web warriors. But as a whole, if we look at the game as a whole, I can agree with you. I don't think he has many spots that he wants to fit in. And if we look at the defenders affiliation that he is going to be a part of, they're all the cards that we have so far are what fours and fives and a six. Uh, with Valkyrie as a three. What other is there any other threes that we have so far? There's one as a two. One as a two, but it's like so far we have two fives and a six. Like like their affiliation so far is extremely threat heavy. Like we thought Black Order was threat heavy. Um, this is just making me feel more and more like uh, defenders are going to be an extremely threat heavy affiliation. To talk about the whole defensive aspect of it i think the one place where he's really going to find a good home is going to be wet warriors um and that's that's about it for me i think he really supplements them well he gives them stuff that they either really like because of his superpower with the long movement he can go and grab objectives if you need him to he's got some good health um was it 13 health yeah 13 health yeah, seven seven and six yeah yeah immediate movement with that large base and then once per turn if you have the power for it you can move long um i think he's going to supplement that as well as the spirit of vengeance and wicked's judgment um i think that those are also going to be pretty interesting that play into web warriors i just like that's my big hot take is he's a web warrior and that's where he wants to be but that's about it so i'm looking at the five costers right now and i mean modok's pretty obviously kind of the measuring tool for best in my opinion and then you've got thor and yeah ebony ma and corvus glaive glaive with the gem is kind of stapled now you, i think 
like Glaive is pretty good with defense, but he kind of needs help to get into the fight. Uh, Thor's great, but um, you're going to get a lot more reach out of uh, Ghost Rider with this three range attack and that crazy long move, and then giving you two six dice attacks for free, which is energy, which is pretty huge. The fact that it works with uh, drop off is kind of crazy. But also, really, you just can get a free move, an absurd long base, large base into long move, free uh, advance. And being he's also size three, so for most terrain, he can go over it without slowing down. It's pretty uh, important to note. But I, so, okay, he, I think he kind of reminds me of Strange, which is funny because they're in the same affiliation in, in that. Uh, like Modok doesn't like Modok can do his own thing. He gets help with Red Skull, but like Modok's kind of independent, right? Thor is relatively independent. I mean, for the most part, Thor can just do whatever he wants to do. Uh, he can bring some along, someone along with drop off. But I think Ghost Rider is not independent. He actually reminds me a lot of Strange and Wong, really. Like, and the fact that he's in the same affiliation as Wong is pretty huge, um, because I think the big part of him is the the movement. Like that that three power uh, hell on wheels, uh, it, it's gonna it's basically almost like a charge, if not is a charge. Um, I, I mean, really, it is. It's just basically a charge. And then he's charging this absurd distance with another absurd attack, which is three distance. Like all of his attacks are three. There's no two in there at all. So the guy's got insane reach and. That it means mobility, and mobility means he doesn't have to be that tanky because he could be going after very meta choices like uh, Gwen or Shuri, and so he doesn't have to be going after the big hitters. He can be doing more of like a flanking approach, which kind of backs up your Web Warriors theory. I'm not saying he's not good in Web Warriors. I definitely, I mean, we don't know any of this until we play, but uh, I think there's this mechanic in uh, Defenders where. People are going to want to kill Strange, and Strange is really good at protecting his teammates, and Ghost Rider has bad defense, and then he's amazing with Wong because Wong can power him up to get that sort of charge thing that he has. Um, mm -hmm. Probably it's a turn two play, but most charges are turn two plays anyway, unless you're Valkyrie. So that's not really weird. And then you add in, like, I think Avengers is kind of cute because you could play Wong, give him a power, and then he gets a discount on his charge, and he's already turn one charging in on something like gamma shelters or whatever that's kind of ridiculous I, I mean i i had to bring it up on the board but i have to think that's extremely threatening to the center of the board uh going uh large base off the three into a long move into another large base range three that has to be really far back and that's a six dice attack with the crazy hex on it it's energy like okay so he's squishy uh, Bodyguard is the obvious connection with him, which again kind of backs up the Avengers since Cap is really hungry to do something useful. And um, so you make people attack him and then they bodyguard and then he gets the free power off of that if someone gets attacked next to him. So he's gaining power off of someone being attacked near him. He, I think Bodyguard is huge for him. And I think that's all by design. I think Doctor Strange giving him extra defense was by design. I think being in the same affiliation with Wong was all on purpose. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to get into his other attacks, but he, the guy has a beam attack, which is 
Insane. Kind of too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, so like, if we're going to like wrap this around to like how we talked about Wasp last episode, um, Jacob, do you think that Ghost Rider is going to change the game state at all? In terms of what's being played and are people going to have to suddenly come up with a Ghost Rider answer? Yeah, it's like, like, uh, like, like better terms, like, and I hate to say it, but like, is the meta going to change? So I guess the big question is, is he going to knock Modok off the top spot? And I just don't see him doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't, he's not the same kind of character as Modok, but I mean, that's part of the issue I have with him, that I want my five threat character to be a big impactful character. And I can see him doing a lot on scenario because he has got that good mobility and he's got a decent reach. I mean, threes across the board for his ranges for his attacks are good. It's not that I think this card is awful and trash. Um, I don't. I just don't, I'm struggling to see a team I want to put him in. Let's put it that way. That's fair. Um, To answer the question myself, I'll say I don't think he's going to change the meta. Like you said, I don't think he's going to knock Modok off of his king of the hill. Um, Modok's just Modok, and we can't get around that yet. I think we'll see some play, but I think it's going to be very few in select scenarios, kind of like how Sploof was talking about. I'm expecting web warriors. I'm expecting defenders, and it, I don't see him splashing into anything else really. Um, maybe Avengers. See, I, I really don't like him in defenders for a number of reasons. Um, so the defenders' leadership ability brings you two main benefits. One of which is being able to choose your attack types, but his attacks are already energy and mystic. So I think that's a particularly big benefit mm-hmm. for physical attackers people like valkyrie who've got two physical attacks and who can then switch that into one of the others and target a typically lower defense whereas physical tends to typically be higher ghost riders already hasn't got any physical attacks he's all energy and mystic the other part of the defender's leadership is is it can allow you to hex people which he's got baked into his builder attack to his chains of uh, damnation damnation it's already got that wild hex ability so you're again you're getting this weird but I'm getting things I already get abilities from that. So I, maybe when we see the Defenders roster as a whole, it'll make more sense. But right now I'm thinking, well, do I really want to take him in Defenders? Uh, you got to force people to do something they don't want to do. And I think Bodyguard's part of that. Maybe it's Okoye, maybe it's Cap in Avengers. Um, you know, I don't know with Defenders. I do think there's at least the intent of an idea that Strange and him kind of work together as a team with Strange giving defense to his friends. He has a high health pool, which is what the defenders do want to make their healing effective. Um, I I will admit that looking at the other five costers, he kind of like doesn't fight them that well. Uh, Maybe kind of iffy against MODOK since he's got the four defense on the Mystic. But, you know, uh, Thor is all physical and Corvus is all physical. So they're going to want to slice him up. Mm-hmm. So you do have you do have to consider that. However, this guy is going to threaten things that aren't normally threatened. And the range three also kind of counteracts uh, characters like Black Widow and Okoye, who like to just sit in the back and do nothing. I mean, he, he at any moment can be explosive and just appear somewhere he shouldn't and just maybe ace a four health character. Like, I think he can do that reliably. And maybe that character's holding a token, you know? Yeah. So mm-hmm. the, you got to really focus on the repositioning and how he can kind of frustrate someone uh, and not so much the head-to-head. And he's and I like I said, I don't think he's like a, a all-in-one-shop kind of killer like MODOK and Thor. I think he needs a little help with either bodyguard or some, the affiliation bonuses or whatever you want to 
however you want to look at it, right? But that's sort of his thing. And if he does gain like boatloads of power, probably he just needs to be using it with judgment. So you kind of have to be forcing judgment to be relevant for him to be relevant. So that mm-hmm. probably means bodyguard. He, and he does have a weakness that is, I even knowing it, still kind of like I'm already forgetting passively, is the way his bodyguard thing works is um, they have to be within range three of him, not range three of like the other character. And that's incredibly relevant because it means he really has to be right in it. You know, he's not like hiding in the back and then waiting to explode. He has to really be in the middle of the fight. And, and the obvious thing people are going to want to do is kill him. And physical attacks are the most common attacks. So if you don't have a way to, like, protect him, it's a problem. You know, because yeah. he wants to protect other people, but you have to first protect him. One final thing just to add in. Mm-hmm. If you look at a lot of the other five threats, a lot of them have got some sort of dice manipulation or mitigation built in. Modoc has re-rolls. Strange can pick up all the dice and re-roll them if he doesn't like what he got. Corvus with the reality gem has, you know, dice messes with the way the dice function. Thor doesn't have that, and Thor is kind of the um, spikiest of those. When he rolls well, he's amazing, but you know, 40% of the time he doesn't roll well, and he's just a bit meh. Ghost Rider hasn't got any of that manipulation bill baked into him so he's going to need to get that from somewhere else to really shine yeah Yeah. no that's true uh and thor is exactly the reason i would never rate thor as like the s tier that some people think he is i I think uh when i first saw ghost rider and i was talking to my friend you know we're both big on dice manipulation we're like all right well ghost rider just joined the like kind of yolo club where you know, some games you're going to blow someone up and some games you're not. And it, you know what, too? I do think that if you ask the developers, they would say Thor has dice manipulation in the form of throws. So, like, yeah. if he kind of whiffs a little bit, he can still throw things. Or maybe he gets no hits, but he rolls the wild. I think that was the intent with Thor 2. So, you could argue that all three of them have dice manipulation and Ghost Rider doesn't have any. I think if Thor, if Ghost Rider is going to shine, it's because he's killing the squishy people. I really think that's what he wants to be doing. I can see that. I'll say one more, one more piece on this, and then let's we'll move on to our Xavier uh, protocols. Um, my big thing that I see is the annoying side of Loki is on a wild he's on his zero cost attack. That's I think that's going to be a big play, especially with how I'm looking at him. But that's just my thoughts. I, I like Hex. So I would just say wicked judgment is perfect information too. Mm-hmm. And that's really good. Like there's going to be times that is really good. Someone's going to just roll three crits and you're just going to know that you've killed them. Yeah. Uh, that's it's, it's like martial prowess. Like, you know, you roll those and you roll me roll blanks on your attack and it's like, well, I'm taking damage, I guess. I'm going to do some work uh, on the maths of that. And so keep an eye out on xavierprotocols.com. Uh, in order to have a look for the maths of that particular ability and the likelihoods. Yeah, I mean, it's hard, though, because it's their dice, so you don't know how many dice they're rolling and how many wilds they'll get. But, you know, somewhere between five and six, you can probably assume, are being rolled at you, right? So yeah. how much damage on average. And, you know, it's like anything with math. Sometimes it's going to feel bad and sometimes it's going to feel great, right? Um, but the perfect information to me is, like, what sells me on it being kind of cool because... There's just going to be that moment where it happens and you're going to feel real good. All right. So now after doing uh, some hot takes on Ghost Rider, we're going to jump into everyone's favorite segment of the show being Xavier Protocols. Jacob? 
So what I want to talk uh, briefly about today is cover, not about the rules of cover, but about the maths of cover. Um, long story short, it's really good. Getting cover is does fantastic things when you look at the maths of, uh, of, of what's going on with the amount of blocks that you can expect to get. So uh, roughly, it's kind of like adding one and a half dice to your defense. So if you're two defense with cover, then you can expect to get as uh, you'll get one block as often as if you rolled four dice and uh, two blocks as often uh, as if you rolled four dice, three and four blocks about the same as if you were rolling three dice. So two dice becomes somewhere between four dice and three dice. In the same way, if you've got three dice and you've got cover, that's uh, that's even better. Um, you get one or two blocks about the same amount as if you had six dice. So you go from three dice to sort of six uh, and you get three or four blocks around about the same amount as if you were rolling five dice. So you're suddenly shooting up your chances of getting a good number of blocks uh, to be equivalent to having a lot more dice. And then if you've got four dice and cover, your numbers just look ridiculous. and You, you have loads and loads of blocks. Um, so if you take nothing else away from this, when you're positioning on the board and you're having a choice about where your pieces end up, if you can, always try and get cover. Yeah, it's like, I completely agree. It's like when I'm playing a game, I try to find where I can be to position myself to get that cover. Um, it's just, it even just like without knowing the math behind it, like the, the little, like this, the sheer uh, benefit that cover gives you just the feeling of the dice. Like, oh, I rolled bad. I guess at least I get one with your cover. Uh, it's, it's nice just knowing that you're going to have that one regardless. And then you add the dice to it and it just, like, or not the dice, but you add the math to it it just makes it seem even better than it actually looks. I have a question for you. Yep. Um, so now cover kind of obviously only punishes ranged attacks, which, you know, a lot of characters are ranged too. Uh, and then most ranged attacks for an average character is something like four or five dice. Is there a rule at all about maybe doing two attacks versus one attack to remove cover is there any like threshold that you think of or is it kind of always worth right maybe rolling four twice in all situations or you know what i'm saying so you're saying should you do a cap shield throw instead of a strike that kind of thing well maybe you you your only choice is going to be a range attack but you can either do two like four dice attacks or move to remove cover and then still do a range attack but not in cover Gotcha. Any... Yeah, I understand. Um, I I'd have to run those numbers, so uh, I don't. Yeah, I, off the top of my head, yeah. I don't know that. But that is a great thing. Uh, you can expect to see an article on on Xavier-Protocols.com <laughs> in the future. Nice. Very nice. Good question. I will come back to that one. Um, maybe we could do a, a follow up in the next episode, um, uh, covering <laughs> two that. episodes time. Yeah. 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 Two episodes time. Um, so we're going to go ahead and move on to our main topic of today's episode. And Jacob, where do you begin with your roster construction? Okay. So, uh, I, I always start by thinking about affiliation and typically I'll have one in mind that I want to play. Um, and so once I've settled on, okay, I want to build a new spider foes roster or I've, I've gotten uh, defenders. I want to build a new defenders roster. 
the first thing I'll look at is the affiliated characters and try and get an idea for what their kit is and what is the general way that they feel like they want to play. Look at the, you know, the leadership ability, looking maybe at uh, tactics cards they've got available to them in that affiliation, saying, okay, what is their unique selling point? What is the thing that they do better than anybody else? Um, and I take that, and before I do anything else with it, I start thinking about crises. And I go, okay, this is kind of, I've got a vague idea of how they want to play. Now I think I'm going to look at the crises and go, which crises is going to maximize that? So let's take Black Order, for example. What they want to do is they want to punch people. So how can I, which crises are going to maximize them punching people? And you might be thinking about things like hammers to get extra dice or Wakandan herbs because it's a slower one, which makes the game longer. So you get to punch them more because it's a longer game and you get um, extra damage from picking up a herb. So there's, there's a couple of things there, but I'll go crises next and I'll then start thinking, okay, which crisis is my number one? I want to play this crisis. And so again, let's take Black Order. Maybe I think that alien ship crashes down. I like the fact it's 20 threat uh, and I like the fact that um, it's got uh, a lower number of VPs. It's a slower crisis, which again gives me tall time, more time to smash face. And then I'll think, okay, that's a crisis that I can play. I can play on that crisis about 50% of the time if I want to force it. The way that breaks down in my head is mm -hmm. half the time you win priority and then a third of the time you discard that crisis, but the other two thirds of that 50% is 33% of the time you've got priority and you get to choose that crisis. So it's 33% of the time, a third of the time you're playing that crisis. If you don't win priority, well, all other things being equal, half the time you get to choose the extract or the secure. And then again, two thirds of that, uh, half of half the time, so two thirds of that, twenty-five percent, you get to, you get that crisis you want. So it's about fifty percent of the time you will be playing on that crisis. So having in your roster the first, now I'm starting to think about characters. I'm thinking in the light of this first crisis because half my games are going to be on this crisis. So I want to make sure I've got really good team for that specific crisis. Mm -hmm. Once I've got sort of my initial team planned out, so I want these characters because I think that's going to fit well at this points value and or here's, a, here's some variations maybe on that. So maybe I take this character out or I swap this character for this character. By then I'm normally up at around five, six, maybe seven characters, depending on the size of the, of the crisis. What I'll then start thinking is, okay, what happens if I discard that? What's my fallback crisis? So let's take the same example of Black Order. Um, okay, what happens if I don't get uh alien ship well maybe then i go oh wakandan herbs i like that or maybe i go <laughs> scrolls i like that um and i'll go right this is my plan b for that crisis for that half of the crisis and start building around that and thinking right how does that affect my roster uh, what do i need to take out what do i need to put in um and then i'll flip it around and go okay well that uh, that 25% of the time when I'm not choosing the thing I want, so maybe in, in my example here, it's I'm being forced onto secures, which secures are going to play well. So then I'm, that's my kind of broad thoughts. Mm -hmm. when, it comes, when it comes to then um, looking at the crises, if I feel I don't have a good enough spread, I haven't got enough good answers on particular secures or extracts, that's when I'll start thinking about, do I want to go dual affiliation? But if I'm doing that, it's specifically for 
particular crises. So uh, a great example is like a Wakandan Asgard dual affiliation roster. Um, the Wakandans uh, are maybe not so strong on things like the meteors, uh, the, the origin bombs crisis. Uh, so in that case, that's why I've got the uh, Asgardians in there to help me cover that crisis when it comes up. So I might be thinking, well, this is my main affiliation and here's my backup affiliation. The last piece of that puzzle really is the tactics cards. Now, mm -hmm. some of them I might have had in mind when I'm building my characters because I'm going, okay, well, I really want this. I really want you set the throne when I'm taking Killmonger and that's part of the plan I'm building when I'm planning out how I think I'm going to approach those crises. But then it comes down to, okay, here's what I think I'm going to take. Here's the ones that I are locks. Here are, the, here are the ones that I think are going to be good. And then here's the ones that I, I wish I could take, but maybe don't just make the cut. Now this is a this is a process which then uh, gets tested and refined and go back and go. I thought this was going to work, but maybe it doesn't. So I, 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 rosters take a while to develop, but that's the process that I go through when I'm starting to build a roster. So uh, I really like your process. Um, mine mine varies a little bit. What I like to do is I'll just take all of my cards and throw them at a wall, and whatever sticks is my <laughs> roster. <laughs> nice. Yeah, anyway, but seriously, um. I look at it a little bit differently. I like to pick my objectives after I have like who I'm playing with. Um, I like to build my roster of people, then my objectives, then my tactics cards. Uh, the way I look at it is number one is like, what affiliation am I going to play? Um, like currently I'm working on spider foes and web warriors. Um, and I like think like, well, I'm going to try and combine these two just because I feel like they complement each other for which crisis the other one's not as good at um like let's take meteors for example i feel like spider foes could actually play meteors uh when web warriors can't as much um <clears throat> and then i look at that and i say okay well i take my affiliation and with those i take in the characters that i need for affiliation and then i get my at that point like you said earlier you're sitting at six to seven characters and you take your little fillers so you're gonna find find your your uh, your threes and your fours and i never want to have too many fours and fives just because i don't like being top heavy i like to be a little bit more flexible than that and then once i have my set of characters up then i go and look at my crisis okay well how is this team going to play on this crisis this crisis and my point values and kind of like like put them up against each other and see where they match up and then after i do that and i have my crisis selected then I'll go into tactics cards and try to find, okay, what does this team need? What are they lacking? Do I need something to add to movement? So if we're looking at spy, um, spider foes, Venom lacks the movement. Green Goblin can drop off. Drop off is going in for Green Goblin, Venom drop off. Um, stuff like that. Like, what do I need? Do I need defensive tech with my cards? Do I need offensive tech with my cards? Or do I need positioning tech? Um, and then I kind of go into that aspect of it. And then, like you said, after my roster is made, I go and I just play test after test after test, swapping things out here and there. I'm like, well, that didn't really perform the way I thought it would. Let's see if my other thought would work. So like my um, my Web Warriors, I originally thought Loki was really good. Played a few games with it. It didn't quite work out the way I thought he was going to. And then I swapped Loki for throw vision into that four slot and i'm actually rather liking vision a lot more in that slot 
So it's all about the testing and all that. Which brings me back to the beginning is when you're sitting down and making a new roster, I think it also comes down to what type of list are you trying to make? Are you trying to make a competitive list, a casual list, or are you going for some really janky stuff? Um, and I think that's a, a big thought process to this. I think Sploosh has some more comments on that particular subject right there, though. I'm glad you brought that up, honestly, because during the, um, what was it, Gen Con interviews and the video kind of conferences they were having, mm-hmm. they mentioned how the game was designed for uh, casual play. However, uh, they feel that a well-balanced game is uh, just as good for casual players as it is for competitive players. And I, I tend to agree. And, you know, when you make a list, you're right. Like, there is the crazy, uh, you know, play Doom Prophecy and, like, combo that with something else. And maybe you're playing Winter Soldier. And you just, all you want to do is get that insane. Uh, another great example is uh, the Three Cost Widow, where you can Doom Prophecy and get some absurd, like, 16 dice and maybe even give her extra turns or <laughs> use all you all you know all you've got and you know maybe bring her back to life and who knows right but if like that's what you're in on then i guess that's the focus of your list uh which you know so being honest with what you're doing another great example is i think we all have maybe like one or two pet characters that uh for me for example it was captain marvel like i just felt like i wanted her to work and i was willing to do whatever it takes to like get her in a list so What's cool about this game is even if you put Captain Marvel in Cabal, that's okay because that's how this game works. You put you get a couple of Cabal characters and then you put aside a bunch of unaffiliated characters that you like for certain objectives. Maybe it's your pet character. Maybe you feel like they're super strong on one of the object- objectives that you can play. Either way, you're kind of owning up in the beginning to like what exactly, why are you doing this? And that actually leads into kind of my next point, which is, when i do agree with jacob i i start with affiliation there is one catch but going with affiliation i identify what the affiliation is trying to do so in my opinion currently in the game there is this like objective based fast aggro affiliation an example would be wakanda they try to win on like turn three they try to overload you with victory points and you can kind of look at the not a traditional aggro maybe like what most people see aggro is like murdering but it's more kind of taking over the game really quickly in 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 relation to that the opposite of that would be like more controlly and slow you know where a team wants to kind of get to turn six and and i think uh i would i call that kind of outlast i don't know that there's really an official term but uh some people may use control from like card game terms uh, and that's a team that's just trying to maybe slow the game down, like Jacob mentioned with Wakanda herbs. So the objective is slowing the game down, or you are slowing the game down by just pushing people off of objectives, not letting them score VPs as best you can. Or maybe they they're, they gain a good lead on you, but you're slowly catching up throughout the game so that by the time you get to turn six, you now can just sort of take over. You own everything, whatever. And then sort of in the middle of that is killing lists, like Cabal is a great example, where really they, I know when I play Cabal, I tend to not be winning early on, but I'm setting up the board state for murder. Uh, Something's going to die, and it's going to eventually lead to me having an advantage with characters. And then uh, you could consider that sort of a mid-range, because you're not really trying to outlast anyone. You're also not as fast as the fast lists. Um, And then you have... Lastly, I think the swarm lists, which are mostly unexplored, but I knew 
do know some people who have been testing it and the swarm lists aren't quite like objective because maybe they don't really have like the throwing potential required to be a purely objective list but their characters are so durable and they have so many of them that it's almost like they're outlasting you with health and characters and also they're maybe overwhelming you on objectives so maybe you only have one character on the objective and they have two and because the objective lists maybe aren't good enough at killing they can't actually kill the characters that are annoying them with this swarm also the swarm list mostly gardens of the galaxy tend to be a little plus on attacks like they tend to be a little they overshoot their values a little bit so they might even be able to kill some of the more objective based lists so it's i would put that uh, as the four sort of descriptions do you guys feel like i'm missing anything one thing that's worth mentioning is something like uh, avengers which can do kind of any of them uh it can you know try and go for a fast win it can go go for a swarm with lots of cheap characters because you've got a, a two threat in affiliation and some good three threat options um that kind of they can play kind of any of those but you have to be smart in choosing which one they're playing they're much more sort of reactive is a term i've, I've used for, for them before and you need to be able to read what your opponent's going to do and pick accordingly um, so that they've got a lot of flexibility, but you need to make the right choices when you're coming to team building stage rather than roster building stage of the uh, of the process. That's actually, yeah, that's a great uh, example. Actually, and we're not going to talk about this today, but actually that leads into a bigger topic of who's the beatdown and identifying where you are positioned because let's say you're playing a mirror match so both of you can't really be the objective list one of you might actually have to change their roles in the game and uh that's that's a much deeper conversation but yeah and I, maybe you know you look at avengers as kind of always making that decision in the middle of the game you know or maybe changing up what they're actually trying to do and possibly surprising their opponent so moving on from that I would say the exception to starting with affiliation would be a character like Thanos. Mm -hmm. I think Thanos has created a situation where he is, and it's funny, right? Because what I'm about to say is not affiliated for Thanos. Like I'm not talking about Black Order Thanos. I'm talking about Avengers Thanos. So when you put Thanos in Avengers, it stops being an Avengers list on some level and actually becomes a Thanos Avengers list, which is kind of cool. And maybe we'll get more characters like that in the future. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, a new one already exists. But I do think that that is one exception to the norm where normally you kind of focus on the affiliation first, you know, interpret what that affiliation is trying to do and then start with the only affiliation related characters and then build from there with unaffiliated characters. Thanos would be my exception. I think you grab Thanos and maybe Cap and then you start thinking about how to make Thanos happen. I completely agree with you. Um, I think I almost see Thanos as his own affiliation outside of Black Order, and you can go, well, I'm going to build a dual affiliation Avengers Thanos list or Wakanda Thanos list, um, and that you, I kind of treat it in that same term, same terms, that I think he's fills a similar role, certainly when you look at the amount of uh, roster slots that he'll fill up. Yeah, and... Uh... I mean, I don't want to get into like how Thanos plays. I don't know if maybe we'll get into that someday, but it's not, it's hard to even describe him. I, I don't even know where he fits in the list 
maybe he's trying to do everything that i do think that thanos is insane with the mind gem and he allows a lot of moving people around and buffing mm -hmm. offense but we'll just leave that maybe for another day um but so then once you identify what you're trying to do you should probably figure out which characters you want i would say i'm ex very extreme on this and i know that not everyone builds lists like me so i'll, I'll give an example um when i was playing in the finals of season two my list was basically three cabal members and then i did have killmonger but i really never played him and honestly i just had him because i like had an extra slot in my 10th character but for all intents and purposes i was basically playing six characters that weren't cabal and i know a lot of people ask me about that and on on the side and i looked at it as like having a sideboard in a card game where i needed to bring in uh characters that maybe countered something that i was worried about uh for example i actually don't think vision is super strong in cabal i think vision is probably one of the best war drops in the entire game but in cabal he's just kind of good however i was getting a little worried about swarm lists and i actually played one in the first uh part of the uh bracket and i didn't end up playing vision because the points didn't work out but I did have them there for that concern. I, I was just worried that someone would have like six or seven characters and it would just kind of swarm me down and I wouldn't be able to kill enough. And Vision's beam was like just kind of what I was looking for. Uh, also, he has the throw. And I mean, we, I'm not going to get down this rabbit hole, but he had a size three throw, which is relevant because Guardians love to have Groot and Rocket. And so he can throw Groot into Rocket. And it was just everything I was looking for. But that is the way I build a list is. Uh, I look for that kind of thing. And having a single affiliation, I just think, gives you a lot of flexibility. I don't know if you guys do this, but so once I pick those three characters I want, in my situation, it was Red Skull, Modok, and Baron Zemo. Then I just take all the numbers, which would be 15, 16, 17, et cetera, and I just start building what I think is the best possible list I could build for each number. And then once I kind of feel comfortable with that, whatever it is set up and I might build it in a roster builder or online or whatever, maybe pen and paper, whatever. But once I have it written down, I'll kind of look at the actual objectives at those numbers and then see if they correspond to what I'm looking for. Like, uh, for example, I don't know, like the hammers is 18. And do I feel like the characters in 18 work for hammers if they do, or if they don't, or maybe I need to test it as Blizzard uh, was saying. You know, maybe you have an idea, but you don't know. You're going to play it and then find out it's not that great, which actually is one other thing I like to do is I like to test with friends who, uh, you know, uh, I trust and want to hang out and, you know, play some games. And I ask them if they're okay with just picking the objectives before we start the game. And don't get me wrong, just playing games is fun, but I like to do as much, you know, we're all limited in how much time we have. So it's best to like, you know, be productive with the time. So if you're, you know, trying to test at 18 and you just keep playing 19 or you keep playing the 18 point objective, but you keep always playing it at like 15, that's not really productive. You're not like learning anything, right? Or maybe you're learning something that's not what you're looking for that day. So um, that's a suggestion for anyone that wants to like test a list is like, you know, before the game starts, maybe decide what you want to actually play. The idea in education is called deliberate practice, and I think it's a really good description of it. You are deliberately practicing something. You're going in going, there's a reason I'm doing this, and uh, I'm going to get some practice. 
deliberately with this team on this crisis. So I think it applies perfectly here. That about covers the list building. I, I will say for casual or competitive, I think building the affiliated characters is generally the same for everyone. I'm sure casual players might want to just go nuts and play every single Avenger <laughs> and not concern themselves as much with unaffiliated. And there's a little bit of that being a good thing. Like, for example, if you play Avengers Assemble and all your characters are Avengers, it's a pretty cool card, right? Or your Dark Reign, etc. Wakanda Forever. However, I think when you get more competitive, it's deciding the unaffiliated characters that things get a little more in the nitty gritty and, and maybe casual and competitive start to split up a little bit. Because once you start going unaffiliated, you're getting into at least the idea of tier lists. I don't think tier lists work as well in this game because it's so wide. And actually, that reminds me of something really cool about this game. So I personally have played a lot of different kinds of games. And when you're playing at the highest level, usually there's like two to three like great tier one lists and then a lot of like the rest, right? Yeah. I personally, in this in this moment in time, this game is super wide open. I think there's tons of great things you can do. I think easily there's at least three plus affiliations that are very, very, very good. And then a lot of other affiliations that are probably just like, you know, point 0.1 below them, just, just, just a little bit down. And that's so amazing. Like, we should all be so happy to play a game that allows us to even have these decisions. So, you know... But that being said, when you're selecting your unaffiliated characters, you do want to like start to get to really pick and choose because there's so many characters. So, for example, when I, with Vision, I think Vision is one of the better characters. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to play him in every affiliation, though. Like you have to think about what makes him good and why he wants certain things. I, I was actually talking to uh, Pat recently. We were doing a tier list, and he had. Uh, I had mentioned to him that I think Vision's insane with Wakanda because the rerolls and he has power to use to spend on rerolls. And uh, he agreed with me, but he reminded me that it's not just Wakanda. Like, you're going to have defenders coming out soon, which you spend a power to change the type of attack you have, and he can freely use that. And also, I mean, you have spider foes where you can do the same thing, where you spend a power to make them reroll, which, you know, makes his beam attack really cool right and you're getting the power back so that means like vision is kind of future proofed like every time a new affiliation comes out you got to look and say to yourself hmm does he make you spend a power to do something really cool if yes then maybe you want to play vision and i mean more casual players might see that as kind of boring like oh here we go vision again but you know being aware of character strengths and weaknesses out of affiliation is it's fun for me i i really like that and if you're a fan of Vision, it means you get to play Vision in a lot of different affiliations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would, I would completely agree with that. Um, like the unaffiliated characters, I think, comes into something I've also heard you talk about. The fact that like your your unaffiliated characters kind of like can make or break a list. Like it's 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 almost like you're min maxing once it comes down to those. Um, Let's keep you talking on that a little bit as far as like the min max aspect of it. Like how do unaffiliated characters play into that? First, I want to take a little bit of issue with the idea of min-max. Uh, mm -hmm. I think uh, just the terminology there is kind of, uh, I know where it comes from and a lot of war games, there was this need to minimize and maximize. I think I prefer the term optimize 
because yeah. it's what we're striving for. We're looking for optimal choices, and I'm not sure you can ever actually reach the optimal choice, but it's what we're all kind of striving towards. So I kind of like that a bit more than min-max, uh, simply I... because you, it doesn't make as much sense to minimize, maximize in Marvel Crescent's protocol. So I, not to interrupt you on your, your train of thought, I, I was kind of want to also get into that as well, um, is <laughs> do you think min-maxing is a thing with this game? I personally don't. I kind of just use it because it's a common terminology for this situation. I think there's many more important ideas. I think synergy is important. I think um, dice mitigation, you know, the trying to uh, make it so that the variance redu is reduced. I think those are more important ideas. And those might be things that you min max on. Mm -hmm. You're going for, I'm going for maximum synergy by taking a five Avenger team to get the most out of Avengers Assemble. That's that's one thing you're you're maximizing your synergy there. Um, I think it's it's about choosing where you're going, what you're going to maximize. I don't think that there is um, in the same way that you would for like other games where you've got a, a variety of squad sizes and rather than choosing something which is just you know the number of models you have you you're thinking about how many models you're taking you don't have that so much in marvel crisis protocol because you're just so limited to your 10 characters um and you need to take a range of threats which just necessitates that when you're building teams you maybe don't have that many options when you get down to team selection so I think there are things that you are trying to maximize, mm -hmm. but I don't think that your that term sits so well with this game. I, I can I just add that I think if you come from a lot of other games and you see how this game is designed, you can kind of tell that the designers are aware of mid-maxing and are doing their best to curve it or curb it, as they would say, right? So like when we see that Ghost Rider character and we, our instinct is like, well, he doesn't kill like Modok, and he doesn't, you know, charge in and murder like Thor does. Like, I think that's all by design. Like, I think they mm. want you to think harder about how to make Ghost Rider work for his points. I was mentioning Bodyguard and things like that. We don't know. Maybe he is just kind of like good, not great for seven months. And then all of a sudden that new character comes out. And you see that synergy that didn't exist before. Maybe even a tactics card that didn't exist, and now it does. You know, really, if you look at all these characters, they did such a good job. Because if this game really was about min maxing, it would just be us arguing over like four characters and which one's the best that you play in every roster. Agree. You know, or you know, oh, this is the best three in Cabal, and you can't argue it. You know, but <laughs> that, I don't feel like that happens. And you know, just rating like Proxima versus Baron Zemo versus Valkyrie, we could talk all day about it. And I don't know that you would ever say this one's the best. I think you'd just say, all right, well, this one's better with this and this one's better with that, you know? And that that's actually one of the reasons this game allows for such a diverse roster building. I think Jacob put it best is it's more of like looking for those synergies. I can't remember the term you said now. Um, what, what, what would yeah. you call it? Like a, uh, optimization. You're trying to optimize. Optimization. Itself. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a better way to put it. I don't truly think that min maxing is a way to look at this game, and I think Splush, you also worded it really well, saying that you think that the developers have that in mind when they're making these characters, because there almost isn't a way to min max. Like you can't just take a list of pure beaters and destroy your opponent because you're gonna dot your your models are gonna get KO'd like super quick because they have weaknesses in different areas. Um, there's no all-rounder character, so to say. 
But yeah. so my next question is, is how important are unaffiliated characters in your roster construction? Like you were touching on it earlier, um, but I'm just really curious, like how much of a play does that actually impact your roster construction? I think it hugely depends whether you're single affiliation or uh, dual affiliation, or sometimes I've seen some which have three or even four affiliations in one roster. Um, so if you take uh, what Sploosh was saying about, I'm going to go for these three characters in my core and I'm building around it, then you've got more options there. So in a sense, each one is less important and doesn't have to be as flexible. They can be more niche and for a particular role or a particular crisis. Uh, but as soon as you go into a dual affiliation, you're suddenly filling up many more slots of your roster and you're hoping that your cross affiliation, there's good synergies with. And I think that's where you're really looking at the best dual affiliations is where, oh, this uh, Wakandan character I want to take in Asgard and this Asgard character I want to take in Wakanda. I think those that's definitely true for those for that example. And that's why that dual affiliation works particularly well. Um, but that means you've only got a few slots left for your unaffiliated characters. And so it's got to be much more laser focused on why that character is in that slot. As far as dual affiliations concerned, I do think that you should never start ever with dual affiliation because you're going to get yourself some weird data and it's going to confuse you. I think what you do is you start with one affiliation you feel very strongly about and then kind of build out a full 10 character roster that you feel strong with and then stare at it and say to yourself am i noticing anything like is for example valkyrie in every single list and am i splashing anyone else in that affiliation can i maybe make this you know you know x plus y is there something going on here that i could kind of crush into one and then maybe stare at the objectives and say, okay, well, yeah, sure. I'm going to play the affiliation X, which is good at, say, these objectives I want to play. But then that let's say that affiliation is weak at something else. Well, does the other affiliation work for that? Like, because it doesn't matter. Like, let's, if, if one affiliation has a weakness and the other affiliation is good at that thing that you're weak to and you want to cram it together, the points still have to work out at the end of the day. Otherwise, you're kind of wasting your time. And you can get yourself in trouble. And this is actually kind of how I ended up losing the finals is I had good lists for gamma shelters, but I always planned those lists at 15 points. And if it was a 17 point objective, I always was good with 17 points. The problem is when you're playing gamma at 17, you are maybe not planning for that because you always think in your head, well, oh, I'm going to play gamma shelters. It's always 15 points. But that's not always the case. Sometimes people throw a curveball at the total number. So if you have this extremely strict one-for-one -one plan for every objective, and then someone throws you a points curveball, your whole secret strategy of having a trick for it might fall to pieces. And that's where uh, dual affiliation can get in trouble. And possibly your opponent could identify it and take advantage, is to find your weaknesses. I, I can just say that this is something real that people do. I know that when I played against people in the online league, I would quickly look at their potential leadership op options, and then I would look at the objective numbers, and I could usually identify what objectives I didn't want to see, and so I would try to choose opposite. And then also, what point totals did I find a bit of a hole or a gap in? 
And that's something you can really exploit and put someone on their heels when they're not expecting it. I, I agree. Like, I think like that part of the dual affiliation is where it's important. It's just like you said, like filling in the gaps where either your affiliation is struggling or, you know, that person like myself who loves to just throw Cree core in there and play at 20 points. Cause most people don't really prepare for a 20 point game. Um, in my experience, I'll throw the 20 out there and like, man, I don't really have my list ready for that. I guess we'll see what happens. Um, and that happens more often than I would expect, to be honest. But I think having the dual affiliation and planning for that accordingly really helps you out. As well as, I don't think there's a single affiliation that is really good at one objective. Um, and that's really what it comes down to is the, the crisis. What about uh, tactics cards? How important are tactics cards? And do you guys feel like dual affiliation can kick, you know, maybe a good tactics card out of the eight choices? Or is that not really a thing? I, I got something to say immediately on that one. Because I'm working with that on my Web Warrior and Spider-Foe roster. And I come into that exact issue. I am, like, struggling because it's like, do I really need well-laid plans or web barrier? Or not web barrier, but... um all webbed up all webbed Be up yeah. because then it makes your other six choices extremely difficult because well now i want drop off or goblin and then i want you're going to take either your patch up or med pack if you're taking modok you got aim lackeys then you want field dressing too maybe because venom that's pretty cool and then it comes down to okay well my my tactics cards are all used up and i don't have brace for impact now like is it do I just not play Brace or do I have to drop something and change my plan to take Brace? Uh, so I think tactic card selection is actually greatly impacted by, number one, the dual affiliation and your characters you're taking. Yeah, I think I agree. I think one of the strongest arguments against dual affiliation is the pressure it puts on your team tactics cards. Uh, it's just so much harder when you've got another one of your eight slots taken up with an affiliated tactics card, which nearly always happens. Because um, they are typically the strongest uh, tactics cards that are available at the walk, so because they've been limited to that affiliation. So yes, tactic cards—it's it's the pinch point in any roster building, uh, and it's, it's because of the numbers. Ten, ten is—you know—it's always you can always argue, oh, if I had an eleventh character, I'd take this. But you can be pretty happy with here's my ten characters I'm taking. I'm never happy with my eight tactics cards. Is oh, I always want one more. Just oh, just by just one more, it's so much better. <laughs> That's so true, man. Yeah, and it depends too. Like Web Warrior versus Spider Foe is actually a fun example because uh, the spiders are all wall crawlers, and mm -hmm. the um, you got Green Goblin, which is great with drop off. So then you instantly want to bring drop off, or maybe you're somebody who just loves Corvus Glaive and Proxima, and you just have to have Rocket Boots and drop off. That's two cards out of eight right there. And you probably can't play Corvus and Proxima in every single list. So for maybe half the cards, you can't even play those two. So now you're putting extreme pressure on those last six. That kind of doubles back to where I started, though, which is looking at what is it 
in an ideal world, what are you playing? What is the crisis you want to try and force and at what threat level? And if that crisis is uh, sufficient that you can bring Corvus Proxima, then it may well be warranted to bring Rocket Boots drop off as a combo to go with them because you know you're going to be playing it a lot. But if you're uh, trying to force something else at a different threat level and the build doesn't work and you're not only going to be including Corvus and Proxima, I don't know, one game in six, is it really worth that team's tactics card slot to bring Rocket Boots? Drop off's probably going to get used in other lists, but the Rocket Boots element is that. Is that justified for the amount you think you're going to play that list? Mm -hmm. So I, I yeah. kind of have a I kind of have a challenge for you two now. I'll I'll do it myself, but let's try building a roster backwards. Start with tactics cards, then your crisis, and then fill out your team, and let's see what we can come up with. I I, I feel like it's gonna be extremely difficult because you're looking at tactics cards like, well, what character? Yeah, I don't know if that works. Like, I don't know if you can. You like you can't marry yourself to drop off without first knowing like. Who you're gonna play? Yeah, but then that, and, that, that and uh, drop off would like manipulate me into having to choose someone that flies. Oh, then, okay. Yeah, I think the way to approach this is we're now building a jank roster, and I want to maximize. <laughs> um, I want to maximize um, Doom Prophecy with um, uh, all you've got, uh, and probably I'm gonna throw Field Dressing in there to combo with that, and maybe that's my starting point. I'm going right. Well, who are my best? doomed prophecy characters well i'm so now i'm thinking about agent widow i'm thinking about um maybe hawkeye i'm thinking about corvus glaive uh who else do i really like doom prophecy on guys think, give me some I doom think prophecy green, green goblin would be really good at doom prophecy green, okay I, let's, let's bucky and widow are my kind of two favorites as for fun Okay, uh, and that helps uh, because Bucky can help fill out our affiliation requirement. We've already got a leader that's been suggested there, but we've got two Avengers already. So is this an Avengers roster, maybe? Uh, so I'm, now I'm starting to think about affiliation backwards. Um, I think maybe uh, we want uh, Wong in there for some healing. I can see that. Because, uh, you know, if you're going to have this person with no... Uh, physical defense and maybe a bit of healing is going to keep them going a bit longer uh, and provide the power to maybe make some of the bigger attacks with uh, Doom Prophecy on them. So I, I, that, that's kind of, we haven't got a full roster there, but I've yeah. got a shape of a roster and I've got a starting point. I think if you're, if you are approaching it that way, you've got a specific interaction of team tactics cards in mind. Yeah. So How I guess about, um, unaffiliated completely. What do you guys think about that? I think eventually it'll have its place in this game, but as the game is currently, I don't think it's quite there. Um, I, I think you could, you could play it, sure, uh, but if we're looking at a competitive aspect of it, I think just having that leadership bonus is gonna be able to outplay um, unaffiliated, which, I mean, speaking from me, who played Guardians, which I guess is kind of looked at almost like it is, and... <laughs> unaffiliated yeah. roster in most cases but it's not um you have basically the chance to swap out a tactics card for rerolls um it's it's neat it's cute uh whatever you want to call it but i still don't think that i i think if you played an unaffiliated list i still think the guardians would have a leg up on it because they still have that extra benefit um not to mention you also have the affiliated tactics cards um that come into play uh, so I think that is where the biggest scene is your tactics cards and the affiliation bonus really kind of give you that leg up on unaffiliated. 
But I think once we get more and more characters in the game, it's going to be more and more possible to actually take a unaffiliated roster into a game and be like, yeah, I, I have a good chance of being able to overpower my opponent and I don't need a leadership bonus to do this. I think I can see it maybe having specific tech unaffiliated teams so you're like oh do you know what i've just got this great thing and it just deals with thanos and black order and it's just these these characters together they I just fix it uh and i don't need that because i've got such strong counters in this list for this particular list which i'm seeing a lot in my meta so i i can see that being a possibility mm. more than a whole unaffiliated roster Okay, just having I, I know in um, Australia, I think they played a league game, one of them where somebody played unaffiliated against Wakanda Wave and yeah, and yeah the unaffiliated player yeah, ended up losing, but I think his heart was in the right place. <laughs> and um... yeah, I think he needed a five character team um, is what he needed there, but he had some strong again, he was doing that he, that was the methodology he was going by. He was going by, here's my team that I have teched to try and deal with this specific meta threat that I'm seeing. Mm. Yeah. And it's relevant because in their area of the world, that meta thing is very popular. So they just saw it very often. So it was worth the effort to build, I guess. Where yeah. in the United States, I just never saw the same thing twice. So you know, <laughs> I, that wouldn't have been very efficient for me. In fact, I never played against Wakanda Wave once. So having that tech would have been pointless. Mm. Uh, I think this will become more relevant as we get more face-to-face -face tournaments. Um, when agree. you know, ah, oh, here's my here's my local uh, big fish, and this is their go-to list, and I need uh, a way of beating the best player in my meta. Um, and so I can see that developing over time and being for specific people in specific locations. So, do you guys have any final thoughts for when you're constructing a roster uh, for everybody? I think it's really important to say this is we we don't have all the answers and you can disagree with absolutely anything that any of us have said and go about building your roster however you want. Uh, although presumably if you're listening to this, you wanted some input on how we think we're going to build rosters. So first thing to say is don't think we have all the answers because we absolutely don't. But we, and you've heard three very different approaches to building rosters from the three of us. Uh, and maybe there's something in there that chimes with you and you want to take and take it forward. But build a roster that you're happy with and that you're going to enjoy. And I think that's much more important than anything else we've said. Uh, my, my final thoughts would be that we're not done yet because we're going to do another <laughs> episode talking about objectives, which is another half of the entire puzzle. And, you know, just like I said earlier, you know, you want to understand your affiliation and what, what makes it tick. Why does it exist? What's it trying to do that's maybe better than what your opponent's trying to do? You also need to understand how to use the objectives and to manipulate that. You know, find the objective that caters to trying to win on turn three, or find the objective that caters to trying to win on turn six. So we, we do need to get to that, but it's a whole nother conversation. And, uh, you know, hopefully you guys listen in a lot. So I guess my final thoughts are I, I want to say Jacob really wraps it up well, and so do you, Sploosh. Um, but the biggest thing I think, especially with this game and any game when you even look at it is as long as you're having fun with it, this is the way to do it. That wraps it up for our second episode of the danger room. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something to level up your next game and your roster construction. As always, you can reach out to us on our discord, Twitter, 
Facebook. All the links for this will be in the description. As well, we have a podcast questions section on our Discord, and if we start getting questions in there, we'll add a segment to the end of the show. Uh, thanks again for stopping by and listening. Uh, go ahead and leave a rate or review if you'd like. We are on a lot more platforms now. Um, it's growing ever so <laughs> daily. Uh, so go ahead and you can pretty much find us anywhere now. Don't forget, uh, Jacob, he mentioned earlier, he does have his Xavier Protocols blog. Um, and he's always got content coming out of there. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one. <laughs>